<clears throat> Children's Church, you can be dismissed at this time. As they're uh, heading out, I uh, just want to remind everybody, this clipboard right here uh, has uh, buildings and grounds to-do lists, and we definitely need help, okay? This hangs in the kitchen right here. As you go down the hallway, the kitchen on the left, it just is right up on a hook. And at any time, any one of you, anybody in here, anybody, anybody can pick it up and say, oh, uh, yeah, I can clean out the baptistry room stage left. I can help organize that. And just come on your time whenever you feel like it and do it and just please check it. That would be awesome. That would be way awesome. And we, so we got a bunch of these things. I'm going to put that back up in there because it's been up there for about, what, six months now? And uh, I see one thing that was done, but it wouldn't check. But anyway, thank you for the one who did the thing. And you can read it, and you know who you are. But anyway, please, please take advantage of that, because that's, that's a big help. That'll go a long ways. So, so I don't forget. I'm going to put this right here. Thank you. Guys, let's go to Malachi, or for my Italian friends, Malachi. Uh, we're going to go over there. It never gets, I love that joke. Uh, I can thank Nate Deck. I think he introduced me to the Malachi joke. Um, anyway. Uh, Malachi, we're in chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, so if you would please go there, find, find your place, uh, that would be excellent. We're continuing our study in the book of Malachi, and so if everyone will make their way over there. I know... Um, it's been a, what, few months now since we celebrated Thanksgiving, and, um, you know, Thanksgiving's sort of that goal for me. You know, my wife and I would kind of ebb and flow out of these. We're going we're gonna to get back on the health kick for a season, and we're going to come off the health kick for a season. Thanksgiving's one of those we're coming off for the season. You understand what I'm saying? We usually try to pick it up at the beginning of the year. Uh, but Thanksgiving, everybody knows Thanksgiving is a lot of good food. This year I tried something new for Thanksgiving. I cooked the turkey, and we had this huge turkey. I mean, this thing was bigger turkey than me and Pastor Mark. I mean, that turkey was huge. And I decided to smoke it. And so um, we, it, it turned out great. I, I was really, first time, I, I wasn't sure, but it, it turned out really good. Loved it. It was excellent. I didn't realize this. Now, I've, I've used this number before. How many of you realize that Butterball opens up a hotline during the holiday seasons? They hire a bunch of extra staff to take phone calls. And you can call, if you look on the Butterball turkeys, you can call for instructions or questions or anything about your turkey. I'm just curious, is your pastor the only nerd that's ever used? The, anybody else called Butterball's toll-free number before? Okay, I'm the only idiot in the room. All right. Hey, I own my sins, right? <laughs> so I can acknowledge it. All right? Yeah, I've called them. I've called them before and, and asked questions. Now, I didn't do what this person did. This true story. Paul Harvey. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Yes, and now the rest of the story. Yes. You young folks, y'all need to do some Google and YouTube into that. All right, anyway. Um, there was a story told by Paul Harvey, true story, around Thanksgiving, a few years back when he was doing his broadcast, that a woman had called in the Butterball Turkey Company. They had set this telephone consumer lineup for questions, preparing for the holidays. So this woman calls to inquire about cooking a turkey 
that had been at the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. <laughs> Who's the turkey? <laughs> That's all I 23 years had been buried down at the bottom of her freezer. She finds it, and the Butterball representative told her the turkey would probably be safe to eat if the freezer had been kept below zero for the entire 23 years. But the Butterball representative warned her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated to such a degree that she would not recommend eating it. The caller replied, that's what I thought. Well, I'll just give the turkey to our church. <laughs> I feel like that little girl meme, you know? <laughs> now, now, we laugh at this. But can I just tell you, in the 23 years uh, I've been in ministry, 22 full-time, you know, it's not uncommon to get the hand-me-downs and the leftovers. Church, all I know is I have been deeply wounded this week in my study. So I hope you brought your steel-toe boots today. Because we're going to be talking about worship. And the truth is, I think a lot of us are giving God what we don't want in our leftovers and half-heartedness. And that's the truth. Now, we're not alone in that. We have an example in Malachi. This is what he's going to hit. And again, I'm not trying to fall, I'm not trying to make it. It, look, if the Spirit of God lands on you, if the shoe fits, wear it. Don't try and kick it off. Believe me, I've been trying to kick it off all week, and it fits sometimes, right? It fits. And sometimes when it fits, we need to wear it. I've seen, you know, we'll go to the cabinets. Somebody gave us that sardine can. I'm just going to donate that to the food pantry. I know I stepped on a lot of toes there. <laughs> yeah. Now, I eat sardines. I don't typically like to eat them. I'm not seeking them out in the grocery store, but I, I, you know. I wonder, as we look at this text today, if we'll be honest with God, and I pray we will be honest with God, and I've had to pause and try to, Lord, search me, try me, and I pray you would do the same thing, and I pray you'll go out of here this week, and you'll reflect on this, and you'll think on this, and you'll pray on this, because I believe God has us here in this moment, in this season of our life as a church, as individuals in the time of 2022, to just be honest and open before God. We're half-hearted in our worship. And, and by the way, worship's not just singing a song. Worship's a life living. We're going to see that. We're apathetic. If we're being honest, God doesn't have preeminence in our life. First place. He's the center in which everything in my life revolves around. 
He is my everything. And if we're honest, that's not how we're living. Malachi, the prophet, preacher, was sent by God to the people of Israel. They've been back in the land. They've been set free from captivity. They're back in their land. They've rebuilt their city. They've rebuilt their temple. They've rebuilt their walls. Things look good, seem good. But their worship had grown indifferent and cold and just going through the motion. So God, through His prophet, engages the people, His people, His chosen people. And He begins to have these discussions. He'll make the statement, there'll be a dispute, a little back and forth. God has the final say, as God always has the final say. But there's, that's the pattern through Malachi. Last time we looked, we spent two weeks talking about the, the phrase when, where God made the statement, He says right from the start, He says, I've loved you. I've loved you. And the people kick back and, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? And he responded with, you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? But Esau I've hated. He said, yeah, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. Again, God answers the question, and we talked about this. If you didn't hear the message, go back and listen to it because it seems kind of an odd answer when, you know, well, how have you loved us, God? Show us, tell us, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Did I not love Jacob? Which they're descendants of. They're the people group that were through the promised seed. By the way, what's happened to Esau and his people? Go read Obadiah. If you want to see what happened to, to the Edomites, we gave you the history. And the last Edomite, the Edomian, that we know because their name changed a little later was King Herod. And I read you the disgusting way in which he went out. You can't find on a map today the Edomites. Where are they at? God's kept His word. But you, Israel, you were blessed. You've been protected. You've been delivered. You're back in your land. Now, these Edomites in that time period, they're going to try and rebuild, but I'm going to squish it. Squish it? Squash it? Squishy? Anyway, my nickname for my daughter. Anyway, um, No, he, he, he says they're going to try to build, but I will throw down. Their territory is going to be called a territory of wickedness. And guys, we know because of our own sin nature, when we are born, we are born depraved. We are totally depraved. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. There's no good thing about us. Our hearts are desperate and deceitfully wicked. That's how we are. We're enemies of God. We're enemies. By, by default. By nature. We're born this way. And dead people can only do dead people things. And something miraculous must happen in order for us to understand God, to want to seek God, to want to pursue God. God must do something. 
And it's by the grace of God that He quickens us. He makes us alive. He, he, he breathes new life. He, he, he shares the good news, the hope that's found in Christ Jesus. He sends His only begotten Son into the world so that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing grace. That is amazing gift that God has given to mankind. And some will receive that gift, but many will reject. Many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, as if they knew him. But he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And that's a tragic end, guys. That's a tragic unfolding, especially from people who with their lip service claim to know him. But with their heart possession, there's no evidence that their life reflects an intimate relationship. And so this is a big warning for us. The Old Testament Israelites are given to us, the church, as an example, as God's chosen people. We can look back in history and see how God's people behaved and responded and, re and reacted. And we can either learn from that and grow from that, or we can repeat that. And I'm afraid we may be repeating some of these things. Now this section we're going to look at today and the reason it hits awful, awfully hard is because he's dealing primarily with priests in this section we're going to look at today. The priests of the day were neglecting their responsibilities. But not only will you see, there will be a couple of uh, verses in 13 and 14, we get to the end, where there's going to see, you're going to see the people who are also not doing what they're supposed to do when it comes to our worship of God. And so, we want to look at the text. And so if you would, please, turn your hearts and attention. Today's message is entitled, Hallowed Be Your Name. It begins our reading in verse 6. But now, entreat God's favor, that He may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will He accept you favorably? says the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? So that... I'm sorry, let me go back. Me, I, I, I skipped ahead. Start back in, in verse 6. Let me go here. Tell you what, if you guys will take over, I'll put on my specs. I can see. Let's look again. I'm sorry. Verse 6. A son honors his father. And a servant his master. If then I am the Father, where's my honor, says God? Where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer lame and sick, is, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now, 
entreat God's favor that He may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will He accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Father, I pray that your name will be hallowed today. I pray that it will be spoken and lifted in such a way that you draw our hearts near. Lord, have your way with us today. That we might hear what the Spirit has to say. And please give us a heart of obedient response for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we see this passage of Scripture, it's important we need to answer some questions first. Is there an equivalent to a priest in the church today? That's one of the first things we need to think about. And again, off the cuff, you may say, well, yeah, in the Old Testament, the priest had, had duty to offer the sacrifices for sin between man and God. But we need to be mindful, church. That office is no longer here. It's no longer necessary. Why? Because Jesus has fulfilled this. Therefore, ending this role and ultimately ending the priesthood. So right out of the gate, we need to understand context. Remember, context, 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 right? In Malachi's time, they were still the priests who would offer these sacrifices. You would, as a worshiper of God, a follower of God, you would bring these, these animals to be sacrificed. He would offer these things up. Again, the high priest would go in once a year, you guys know the story, into the Holy of Holies and atone for the sins of the people. But he'd have to do that over and over yearly, right? And all of this was a picture painting to the coming of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. When Jesus came, He fulfilled. He finished. It's done. He is our great high priest. Therefore, He's entered into the Holy of Holies. He sat down. It's finished. Praise God, it's finished. So there is no role of the priest in our day. I don't absolve you of your sins, right? Now this is again one of those areas that we, we disagree with the Catholic. Okay, they, they have priests, but they're not, that's not biblical in the way in which, again, some of the function of the Pope or so forth. Again, not here to, to pick on anyone. I'm just stating the facts. But we need to understand this history. So let's look at Hebrews 7. I got it up here on the screen. You can go there in your Bible if you want, but I'll try and read this. This is what Hebrews 7, 20 through 28, which, by the way, how awesome is this? If you're in our Word of Life quiet time books, this is where we're at. 
Guys, I'm begging you and I'm telling you, when we order Word of Life Quiet Time books next season, we'll probably order them in the summer, get you one. Because it's times like this that I'm just like reminded of God's awesomeness in that here in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking exactly about how Christ fulfilled the role of high priest. And so it's been just a wonderful history of, of what we're studying in Malachi and, and understanding its importance for us today. So with that said, let's listen to what the Word of God has to say. Hebrews 7, 20 through 28 says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they've become priests without an oath. But he, speaking of Jesus, with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever. Talking about Jesus. According to the order of Melchizedek. You guys remember old Mel, uh, Melchizedek. Um, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. All right? And he continues. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, uh, he's become surety of the covenant. Verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Okay, the problem with the Old Testament priests, they kept dying. <laughs> That's a bit of a problem, right? So, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices. First for his own sins, because you remember the Old Testament priests, they had to offer up sin first for themselves. They had to get right first before they go offering for you. But he didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. I encourage you to go back and meditate on that. Selah, meditate on this. Y'all don't remember that guy. Some of you do. Um, that's good stuff. When you begin to understand what Jesus has done for us, when you recognize He has fulfilled the role of the priestly, the Levitical priesthood, the, 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 again, the great high priest is who Christ is. That's why we no longer have temple sacrifices. That's why we no longer have to, you know, drag in some, some carcasses. By the way, I was driving by your house, Bridget, uh yesterday. We was going uh, to the funeral, driving out there, and man, in front of me, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. About right, I got to your house, right in front of me, going down, heading off, uh, there he is, Mr. Layton. He's cutting off towards your way. I don't know if you saw him drive by. A truck, and it had stacked up on top of it dead deer carcasses. And I mean, there was a bunch of them, wasn't there? Allison, you were with me. I mean, there was a bunch of them, right? <laughs> she didn't count. I, she, she laughs at me all the time because you know how us men are. We're driving down the road, and I say, oh, deer. Look, check it out, guys, deer. And they'll be like, where? I don't see them. Back there in the field. Look over there. And, you, you know, oh. How is it you can see those deer and you can't even find the ketchup bottle in the fridge in front of you? 
And she's true. You know, I'll be, honey, where's the ketchup at? And it's, it's right there. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll spot, I spot man, I can spot deer, you know, a mile away. Mr. Lancaster knows this, right, sir? <laughs> but anyway, there was a bunch of dead deer carcasses just toting down the road. I was like, man, if one of them falls off, oh, wait a minute, that's probably where he got them off the road anyway. I don't know what he was doing with them. I don't know. I don't want to know. But we don't have to sacrifice animals, right? By the way, they did, they, that was temporary, right? It, it was done away with. Again, that was symbolic. What was it pointing to? It's pointing to when John would say, again, 400 years after Malachi writes, 400 years later, you're going to see John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the great sacrifice. And He's our great high priest. Well, let's continue this thought. Hebrews 9 continues on with this idea. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. How's God loved us? Said the Israelite. Are you not descendants of the promised seed? Are you not children of Jacob? Not Esau. You're not of the flesh. You're not of the world. You're, you're of the promise, aren't you? Now we recognize not everybody by the time you get to Jesus' day that, that were descendants in the flesh of Abraham were true children of God. Jesus said, if you were of your father Abraham, the, the works Abraham did, you would do. Right? Again, there should be a belief system that flows forth from those children of promise. If we claim to be followers of Christ, if we claim to know Him, there should be evidence in our life that we are walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh. I didn't say this last time, but I should have chimed this one in in closing out our last segment. You know, you recognize too when you look at the comparison of Esau, the first child, the firstborn, and Jacob, the secondborn. And I did mention about it's never the first birth, it's the second birth that counts. By the way, are you in the first Adam or are you in the second Adam? Because through the first Adam came death. Through the second Adam comes life. Amen? And so again, Jesus becomes our high priest. He sacrificed once and for all. It's done. It's finished. And so, again, I understand in Malachi's day, the priests were offering bulls and goats and these type things, and, and that's important to the context of where we're going in this study. 
Now, there are some roles similar for us today. So, in other words, we need to understand the history. Now, we need to understand where we're at today so we can get some application for you. So, what does it have to do with me? We're getting there. Hang tight, dynamite. All right? There are some similar roles. Pastor, overseer. All right? We are responsible in shepherding the flock. We are responsible. We make our livelihood uh, uh, by God's people. Apart from God's people, uh, the, you, I'm, I'm dependent upon you guys. The priests were in their day. So there's some similarities. They were tasked with the responsibility to teach the Word of God. That is a responsibility that elders and pastors have. So there are some similarities in that. And, and this is, again, why us pastors, Dean and, and Pastor Mark, myself, we, we need to pay close attention when we find these kind of situations in the Old Testament. But the New Testament church, need to hear this one, also points out to us all as believers the following truths. Listen to what Peter has to say. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You guys, church, those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ, guess what you are? You're a holy priesthood. That's who you are. You are, a, are called to be a holy priesthood. So when I read in the Old Testament a priest, and I know the New Testament identifies me in Christ, in Christ, as a holy priesthood, there's some application I can find there, is there not? I need to be thinking through these things. And so we see that. He says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we're not going to fulfill these things in our flesh, guys. You're going to get tired, you're going to get wore out, and you try to do ministry in your strength. You can't. But when you yield your members, your body, to Christ through the Holy Spirit, and He empowers you to do what He's called you to do, and that is to serve and to love one another, then we're able. And that builds up others. It edifies the church. It grows the church. He says, you're a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 he says, but you are a chosen generation. Again, think about the application. Jacob, I've loved. We talked about predestination. We're talking about how you were chosen before the foundation of the world. We talked about these things. He says to you here, you're a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim. What are we supposed to be doing, church? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's good stuff. Guys, I don't know about you, but God called me out of darkness. Oh, my soul, you don't know how dark it was in the places I've been and where I've come from. Praise be to God. I, I mean... It's been a while, and I probably at some point do need to share my testimony again because I recognize we've got, we've got new faces here and a lot of folks. But I am telling you guys, when God, it was a road to Damascus for me. I mean, it was a true, I was a full-on enemy of God. I was in riotous living like the, the prodigal son, like you could not imagine when God arrested my heart. And it was a fearful, scary traumatizing awakening. And God knew that's what I needed. 
to get my attention. And I'm so thankful that he chose mercy and grace instead of what I deserve. Because I should have stepped into eternity in that moment in my life when he arrested my heart and soul. And if I'd have stepped into eternity, I would have stepped into hell. And so I recognized that saving grace and that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim his praise, to tell others, to not just, you know, worry about me building my kingdom or getting, you know, my, my stuff done that I need to get done. I'm, we got a mission. And it's God's mission. So, he says this about the whole church. Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and what? Priests. Who is God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Church, that's who God says we are. So when we read Malachi here in a little bit, we need to reflect on just because, hey, I'm not offering lambs and goats, this doesn't apply to me. It applies to every one of us. It absolutely does. In the way of application, we can glean principles and, and truths that we find there to, to, to fit our feet, if you will. But we also need to know this, because the, the priests had access, right? The, the priests, and the high priests especially. So our access through our high priest tells us this, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why can we go into the Holy of Holies in our prayers? Because our great high priest is Jesus Christ. The veil is rent. It's torn from the top down. The old temple, remember when that happened? Jesus was making a statement. And we now, believers, have access because of who Christ is. Christ is our high priest. He lives every day to make intercession on our behalf. When we don't even know what to pray, the Spirit of God knows how to make utterance on our behalf. But guys, we have access, not because of what we do or don't do, but because of who He is and what He's done. His work is complete. It's finished. And that ought to embolden us in our witness. That ought to embolden us in, in, in our prayer life. It ought, to, it ought to wake us up, church. To proclaim His praises. To be the people He set us apart to be. So, that's the background. Are there some similar roles? Absolutely, there are. But let's take a look at the points here in our, in our study for today. Uh, again, the first thing we want to look at is God's name deserves honor. God's name deserves honor. Um, Again, you, you know when Jesus' disciples saw him praying, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like you. They knew he, there was power in his prayer. Teach us how to pray. And um, 
you'll remember the account in Matthew, in, in Matthew 6. It, he says, it, it pray like this. He says, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the way he starts. Our Father who art in heaven. Church, do, can I remind you today? You have a perfect father. I don't know what your earthly father was like. He may have been a louse. He may have been no good. He may have been awesome. But can I tell you, there's none awesome but one, our heavenly father. He is awesome. He is holy. He is perfect. And he's our Abba. He's our dad. Because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done. And for as many as received him, Christ, to them, he, he gives the right to be called the children of God. We are adopted, Scripture tells us, into the family of God. Our Father in heaven is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our life. Hallowed be His name. So, so we begin here and we look in our first point and we see that God's name deserves to be honored. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 in Malachi. Malachi 1.6. We're back in the text. Notice what he says here. He says, a son honors his father. Son honors his father. Even an earthly dad, right? I mean, even if you had not such a good dad, you, you typically respected him, right? Um, I remember going to church every now and then. We didn't go maybe Easter, Christmas, certain times, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's back in the day, kids, you know. You sat in church. There were no children's church. You sat in church, right? And how did we sit? My older generation, you sat respectfully, didn't you? What would happen if you didn't? <laughs> I saw a bunch of hands go like this all of a sudden. Hey, my dad used to have this tiger ring. It was like an eyeball of a tiger. I remember being mesmerized as a kid. I'd sit there and he put his arm around me. I'd just like hold his finger and look at that ring, stare at it. And it was a tiger ring. It was like, man, that thing's always staring back at me. Oh, I thought it blinked. Anyway, that was me. Anyway. But I remember if I get you know, a little squirmy or acting up, because you know, my nickname was Squirmy Jeremy, I should never have told you that. I saw that look on Zach's face. <laughs> He'd take that ring and he would spin it around backwards and there'd be that little eyeball right there, just enough to go. I told you straighten up. Yeah, anyway. Some of you got it not on the, on the head, you got it on the derriere real good, I know. That's a whole other story, right? <laughs> but we respected, we honored our fathers, right? Now, now, hey, <laughs> newsflash for modern day parenting, God's a God of discipline, all right? Go read Hebrews 12. Those whom He loves, He chastens. So if you don't believe in spanking, you need to read your Bible. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying, God does bring it. Sometimes it's a little harder than other times, and we don't want to be on the receiving end of God's spanking. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm sure, you know, this is out live, and I'm probably going to have investigation coming this week. <laughs> That's all right. I do prison ministry too. Um, so, God's name deserves honor. That's the point, right? Deserves honor. By the way, let me say this, because I don't want to. I will say that there's a difference between discipline and abuse. We don't condone abuse. Period. Thank you. Moving on. All right. 
God's name deserves honor. Notice the phrase here. There's a phrase used here in this text, and this is important uh, that we see this. He says, the son uh, honors his father. And so it implies, again, Israel's not honoring dad. They're, they're not honoring their father. They're not recognizing and respecting who their father is. And a servant is master. Okay? Now, we don't quite understand. This culture time period, this was really happening, okay? And so, let me give you an akin here. Employee, employer. Now, I'm just going to be real for a minute, church. We're going to time it out right here for a second. Sometimes we treat our employer better than we treat God, our Heavenly Father. We show more respect for our boss's time clock than we do God's. And I'm just being real. And this is the exact point God's making here to His people. In that time period, a, a, a servant respected, honored, obeyed, listened to, followed, sometimes willingly, and we know, again, there's also some atrocities that, that, that don't represent you know, correctly. But regardless, there was that submission. There was this understanding. You guys have got some stinky bosses you don't care for, but you show them a lot of respect. You work and do what they ask you to do. Now again, we don't serve a God, a Father who's, who's like that. We serve a perfect, holy Father. How much more does He deserve our honor and respect? He said, if then I'm a Father, he said, if then I am the Father, where's my honor? This is God asking. And let Him ask our heart that. You say, I'm your Heavenly Father. Church, we say this. We say He's our Heavenly Father. Where's His honor? And if I'm a master, where's my reverence? Where's the respect? Where's the A-W-E? The ah of God. Wow. We need to take another look at God. We need to become enthralled and, and just in awe of who God is again in our hearts and our lives because guys, we've grown dull of hearing. We have allowed our hearts to harden. We've allowed ourselves to go numb to who God is. And it's evident. It's evident in our world. It's evident in our churches around, especially in America. And just imagine for a moment, Community Baptist Church. Imagine for a moment we allow God to reign in our hearts. To have preeminence. To be my everything. To be my breath. To be my life. To be what wakes me in the morning. What leads my family. That there is a newfound desire to want to honor Him serving, to serve alongside each other, to love each other, 
Just let God fool. If we return to that, will his name not be glorified? Where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. This phrase is an important phrase. This phrase is, it's a, it's a, First off, let me, let me say this. He's making a serious charge here. Okay? Don't miss that. He's making a serious charge. The seriousness is signaled by the title he uses. He uses the title here. He's used fathers, but he's using a different title here. The title he's using here is Jehovah. It's, it's Lord of Armies. It's the Lord of Hosts. The heavenly armies, the, the, the Lord of hosts, it's a judgment title, meaning that God has all the heavenly and earthly armies at His disposal to judge the people. Russia's sitting at the door right now, getting ready to invade Ukraine, probably already has, some of it's begun. Guys, do you not recognize that when he uses this phrase, God uses this phrase, he's reminding his people, just like you were carried into captivity by Babylonian, by the Babylonians, just like the Assyrians have taken you away. I am the Lord of armies, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And I have at my disposal anything, anytime that I desire to get my people to where my people need to be. I look at where we're at, guys, and it's clear the hand of God has been lifted. We aren't waiting for judgment of God in America. We are in it. And I'm not talking about a great tribulation period. I'm just simply talking about when we look at the people of Israel in the past, God's chosen people. God does things at various times in various ways to get their attention, to get them to where they need to be. And don't think that that's not happening in our day. God would have to apologize to His people of the past. We are His chosen people today. In that we represent God. We are His high priest, or his, not His high priest, we are His priests. We are His representatives. We are the holy nation. We are the ambassadors for Christ. The kingdom we represent. And if we're not representing, God can use whatever He wants to get our attention, to get us back to where we need to be. This is what He's telling the people of Israel. And He's reminding them with this title. And so now that Malachi has their attention, he can explain what was happening. And notice what they say. Yet, you say, he says, he says, the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what ways have we despised your name? He's going to answer that in verses 7. Through defiling God's altar. Look if you would in verse 7. He says this, you want to know how you're despising my name? You want to know how? Here's how. You offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? 
Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. I like the way the NASB puts it here in verse 7. He says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how we defiled you? The table of the Lord's to be despised. They're despising it by their actions. They were, they knew better. They were taking these half Lame and blind and crippled and and sick. Why is that a problem? How's that defiling? Think about it, church. What is the sacrifice supposed to represent? Say it. Your best. Why? Why does it need to be that without blemish? Why is that important? Why is that significant? At this time in the Old Testament. Why is that important? All these, yes. It's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to Jesus. And if you're bringing in here some half lame, crippled, ah, well, you know what, let's just bring the ah, leftover. I'm not going to take the prize of my pack. I'm going I'm to take this one. This one's not doing so good. It's going to die anyway. They're going to just kill it. I might as well. We justify it. We justify But guys, you forget what it's representing. It's representing the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ is not with blemish. He is without blemish. And so what these people were doing is defiling the very message of God. They're defiling the very good news of Jesus Christ. Because if you and I do not have a blameless Lamb of God, you and I are in trouble. We need a perfect sacrifice to appease a perfect God. And so when these people, and again, these are just simply foreshadowings. The sacrifices were simply foretelling of the coming of Christ. And so if we're marring that message with that, eh, any old thing, any old thing does, guess what it ends up doing? It defiles the name of God. And church, when you and I live our life in such a way that, ah, we'll just give them the leftovers. We'll just give them what's done at the end of the month. We'll just, you know, and we live our life through worship in the same manner that they are. We are defiling the name of God by which we've been called to. And that's a problem. We're defiling God's altar. And that's what was happening with the priests. They were presenting such marred sacrifices. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should He show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of Heaven's armies. Oh, you want God's blessing on your life, but, but we're going to treat God this way? Malachi 1.10 in the CSB says it this way. I wish, I wish... One of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hand. You know what he's saying? He says, you know what, church? Just, we just need to close the doors. We just need to go home. We just need to, we just need to stop. Because we're just going through the motion. By the Spirit of God, I want this to sit right here. 
And I want us this week to ask God individually as His holy priesthood, as a royal nation, God, how am I defiling you? Change my Change my way. That my worship might be pleased. Father, and let me just thank you for allowing us to call you Father. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lights. Forgive us. Search us this week, Lord. Let us have some alone time with you. Let us do some soul searching. And I pray, please, don't let the enemy pluck this away. Guard our hearts. The seed sown today would find fertile soil. It would find a place to grow. And Lord, that we would be honest before you and lay our sins at your feet. Be the people you've called us. Have your will and your way in us today. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today or someone watching online listening does not know you as Father, they've never been born again from above. I pray that the wind of the Spirit of God would blow as He sees fit, that it would search the hearts of every listener and that it would find that heart that needs to hear this message of hope. God loves you. He demonstrated that love while you were still in your sins. Christ died for you. You see, Christ is a fulfillment. Only Christ can do the work that you and I can't do. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. We deserve eternal damnation, eternal separation. But God loves you. In that, He went to a cruel cross. He lived a sinless life. He was perfect in all His way. You and I cannot be, but He went to a cruel cross and paid the penalty for our sin debt. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you've never come to the cross and confessed your sin, repented and put your faith and trust in Christ, I pray you will respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to you now. Turn to Him and call upon His name to save He says, whosoever shall call upon His name shall be saved. So if the Father's drawing you, hear His voice. Surrender today. Lord, help us as we go from here to be your ambassadors, to be your light. And thank you for the wonderful time together today in your presence. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'll see you, Lord willing, Wednesday night.